Um, if you've noticed, we've got new flyers, uh, things going up here. Uh, there's a, a women's luncheon that's coming up. Flyers are on the back table for that. That's April 2nd. You can grab one of those and sign up if you want to join them for that. Um, and there was one other thing. I can't remember what it is. I, we'll do a, a there, there's that, you know. Was there another one up there? A new Yeah, potluck. That's right. Potluck. Next, next Sunday. We can't forget food. Next Sunday, food. Um, uh, we haven't had a good potluck in a long time. Mike and Debbie have picked it back up again, and, uh, and, and so we're going we're gonna to eat for, you know, and, and fellowship. So join us for that after second service uh, next week. Um, we're going to provide, the church will provide, Mike and Debbie will provide, and anybody helping them, the soups. And then we're just going to bring sandwiches or sides to go along with that, kind of blend it all together. But um, we'll take on, hopefully, the, the main dish there. So those are the two things I, I wanted to get at for sure. Um, Jack and Julia Long, uh, they call it Julia or Yulia? Eula, Eula, okay. Jack and Eula have made it in Ukraine to the border. Uh, they're within two hours, I think is what she said. Um, and they're almost across over into Poland, they hope, as, as soon. They were waiting on, I think, her to get her second COVID shot. I mean, you'd think in war we could bypass that whole thing, but apparently you need a COVID shot before you could flee the Russians. I, <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> anyway, good news for them. They're, they're, they're very close, so we'll pray that they get across safely into Poland. So, all right. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 8. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Psalm 8. I think we can just do eight and nine today, but we'll see if we can get to 10. To the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a Psalm of David. So David is writing this beautiful song to the Lord um, and some excellent stuff in here. As I was studying, I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's good. And I, and I stole a lot from some commentators too. So um, I, I'm not just brilliant. I do steal other brilliant people, you know, so... It says this in verse one, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. And that's already kind of my first break anyway. I got to break it down. David decides to use the Lord's name and, and his position in Israel. Um, we know that his name is Lord. That's what's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Um, but the second part, O Lord, our Lord, um, means that we've made him our ruler, uh, is what he's saying. And that's something every human being has to do. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we, we focus on the Savior an awful lot, which is, which is important. That's why we came to him. But to make him Lord is just as important because that keeps us from continuing on that same path that caused us to need a savior. When God becomes Lord of our lives, he begins to change us from the inside out, and we don't sin as much anymore. We show fruits of repentance in our lives. Um, obedience, holiness begins to show up, and so it's a wonderful thing. Um, and so he, when he says this, O Lord, our Lord, um, it's not flippant to him. It's not the first four words of a song. It's, it's the beginning of a, of a mindset for this song. Is God the only God, your God, your Lord? How excellent is your name in all the earth, not just Israel, but everybody 
He's for everybody. And David knows that. He's always known that. He's for the Gentiles and for the Jews. He's for everybody on the face of the earth. His name is excellent for all to call upon. Who have set your glory above the heavens. And then he moves up even higher. Not only on the earth, but your glory is above the heavens. We look to the stars and we see the, mag- the, the magnificence of them. And, the, and, and as we get, you know, as we grow in the Lord here and, and, and we grow in science and we begin to see out and look past and get new telescopes, I can't wait for that new one that they're putting up, you know, um, how exciting it is to see God's hand and the size of the universe in it. Um, and, and he's trying to do that. David's trying to get us to think that way. You're, you're, you're Lord of my life, you're Lord of the earth, and everything it brings you glory, you know, kind of thing. So, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because you wouldn't find strength in babe. Well, if you've ever had a baby, that cry can probably move a mountain, can it? You know, <laughs> somebody do something, <laughs> you know, make this baby. Well, that's not really his thought on the matter. The idea is that it silences the enemy because it's one thing, you know, if uh, I'm going to pick on, who should I pick on? I'll pick on Kim Watson there. Yep. Sorry. And, 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 Kim and I go toe to toe, you know, and, and, and Kim knocks me out flat, you know, and, and he's, you know, standing over me like this. I can take that, you know, I can handle that. Cause you know, Kim's got a good right cross or whatever. And that, that I had it coming, you know, kind of thing. I can take that. But if a little kid does it to me, I'm not so happy anymore. I'm not so accepting of that uh, defeat, you know, as, as Bo's standing over me going, yeah, dad, stay down, you know, kind of thing. I'm, I'm not as boastful or saying, well, you know, I gave it my best shot. If that was your best shot, that's the idea. And, and of course, Paul hits on that in Corinthians. Is God has used the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and it drives the wise crazy. It drives them crazy. When, they, when the weak are the ones having victory, it drives the strong crazy. And all it does is point people to Jesus. It points people to God. You look at the vessel and you see the crying babe, the nursing infant, this, this baby that's proclaiming God's strength and showing his strength. It, it, it causes people to say, it can't be that vessel. It has to be something else, you know? And so God does that on purpose because it brings him glory, because it, it lets everybody know that I'm for them. And if I'm with them, I am... I am the majority. I am the strong one. They become the strong one. That you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, David says, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Um, For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and, and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, that's how he started. How excellent is your name in all the earth. So you end with that final little chorus there. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, that's the first time God fills us in that we're in charge. He didn't only make all of creation for us to dwell in and to inhabit and to be a part of, um, but he made us to have dominion over it. And that doesn't mean just bossing it over. I think this is an excellent marriage. So, you know, if we ever did a, a marriage retreat around here, this would be an excellent topic. 
um, to cover and a great scripture to use. But here's what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Dominion doesn't mean exploitation. Very important. Um, There's a balance here that we all need to understand as, as, as people. God did make us to be above these things and to be a ruler over these things, but also a manager of these things, carefully um, utilizing the resources um, to bring God glory, though, and not ourselves. And you can see that being perverted in some ways. You can see sometimes things are, um, you know, uh, when people try to manage the environment, uh, it doesn't work a lot of times. Maybe they take off a little bite off a little more than they can chew and they, and they get it. They get ahead of themselves. I think we see ourselves. I, I feel bad for, um, I feel bad for that segment of the government that is in charge of, um, releasing wolves, not releasing wolves, all those things that we try to manage fish and wildlife game and all these things. It's a very difficult task. If you're going to do that kind of management, it, it's hard that you don't go too far one way and too far the other. And I, we do our best, I think. And I, 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 I'm not against them at all. I just, I just, we swing like a pendulum. It seems like, you know, we need to stop all the wolves. We need to let all the wolves out. There's careful, you know, you gotta be careful. Um, we need to kill this many deer. We need to harvest this many. We need not harvest any at all. We need to harvest more than ever before, you know, before. We need to have another, ex- you know, we go too far sometimes. And a lot of times that's because men is, are using their own wisdom and not seeking the Lord at all. And so you find yourself polluting it and ruining it. And, but the same can be said for overfishing and underfishing and all these things. God's called us to be very careful about these things, to not be flippant and throw your McDonald's bag out the window of your car inappropriate, you know, unchristian, unbiblical, wrong. Keep the stuff in your car, put it where it belongs. Um, and you can go overboard too, where you're, you're running your, you know, your boat into whaling vessels and things like that. You know, you just, we, we, he's given us dominion to use these things properly and it's up to us. And so as Christians, we need to have that level head, uh, uh, an even keel when it comes to these kind of things. We don't want to go too far this way, you know, you know, kill all the barn owls or whatever, the spotted owls, you know, wipe them all out. Let's, let's make this place a parking lot. Well, that's wrong. That's not Christian, biblical. Also, we don't want to go the other way. We're chaining ourselves to trees and, you know, dismantling government property and things like that and being eco-terrorists, you know. Um, there's a balance there. And obviously, I think most of us understand that. But God's given that to us. He says he's made us just a little bit lower than the angels. And that's a hard thing to probably get our minds around as people. Um, There's God, then there's the angels, and then there's us. And then there's the creatures. We're like third string, you know. Um, We know that in power and strength from what we read in Scripture about the angels, how strong they are and powerful they are. 183 or 185,000 men one angel can kill. You know, it's like, okay, Definitely a little lower than the angels. You know, we get that. 
And yet at one point, we judge the angels as people. We were brought up babes, you know, nursing infants, children, people that are weak. He's going to put on thrones eventually, which we just finished Revelation on Thursday night. And we're going to judge the angels, which is a strange deal because they're more powerful than us. And yet here we are. So he takes us from this position of having dominion over the uh, you know, all the fish of the sea and everything else in it, but we're a little bit lower than the angels, but eventually we get raised up into glory, into honor. And, uh, and of course the angels look at us and say, you know, you're not that hard to kill. You know, I mean, they probably don't say that, not out loud anyway. Uh, but, but they see God's majesty, they see his strength, you know, in us. Um, several times you'll get pictures of this. When these angels come and they're like messengers, you can almost see them, and I want to be very careful because they love to be obedient to God and they love God, and I think they love us too. They have to. They don't have a choice. Um, but there's something about their messages, and they get frustrated with us when we don't believe them. You ever notice that when you're reading through the scriptures? The angels are like, you know, you're going to have a baby. I don't know how that can happen. Okay, you know what? You're mute. I'm going to make you mute for a while here. They get frustrated with us because they just, they don't, they understand God. They see his power. They understand who he is. They know that we're lower than them. And I'm here to give you a message from the throne room of God. You don't believe me. Okay, you're going to be silent until, you know, John the Baptist is born. And then you can name him, Zach, you know. And they do that several times. But they're also very careful that like in John, like when John was doing the book of Revelation, he would bow down and worship them. He's like, they're like, no, get up. You're doing it wrong again. I don't know how you're going to rule and reign if you can't figure out that you don't worship me, but you worship God only. They never say that. That's me. But we have a hard time with that. And they long to look into this relationship that we have. They long to look into it. They're watching us and they're like, yeah, you know. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 27 for he, God, has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. It's okay. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. For he has not put the, whole, put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing uh, that is not put under him. There's nothing left out, <laughs> nothing reserved. But now we do not see uh, yet, or we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. The word of God become flesh, right? You understand that? Became a man. Um, and suffered of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. That's another, just a little picture into that. Um, this subjection that we have, this ruling that we have, this authority. Um, I think we need to take that very seriously, um, more than we probably do. Um, we get really focused on the smaller things in life, the more difficult things in life that we seem to grasp or need our attention more. It seems to be louder. You know, the squeaky wheel of our life gets the grease, right? And if you're, if you're out of money, then it's nothing but money. That's all you think about. I don't care about my McDonald's bag, you know, kind of thing. 
And we can lose sight of who we are, children of God, made to have dominion over this earth, and that's our mission. And we lose sight of our who we are and what our focus is. Um, that's taking care of each other. That's taking care of everything, the environment, all of this stuff we need to be very careful about. And we move to what am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? Where am I going to live? And so he specifically tells us, I don't want you to worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live, because I take care of everything. I, I, I do all that. What I want you to do is do what I've asked you to do. You know, um, We do have things we're called to do by God, and there's some things that he does not want us to take on ourselves. He wants to, us to leave in his hands. Um, and we seem to do the opposite. You know, I think that's just our tendency to do the opposite of what God tells us to do. And so David writes this beautiful song about that. He's excited about the fact that the Lord is the Lord of his life, um, that, that his name is excellent, not only in his life, in the earth's life, but in all the heavens declares glory and, and so on. Psalm 9. The prayer of thanksgiving for the Lord's righteous judgment here to the chief musician, to the tune of death of the son, um, a Psalm of David. Um, maybe about his defeating of Goliath kind of sounds like that. Most believe that's what this is. And so it was written after that while he's still young, but after the defeat of Goliath and it makes sense, but don't, don't get stuck on it. It doesn't have to be that. I will praise you. O Lord with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name. Almost high. Um, and this is one of the things I stole from one of the commentators. When it says that we praise the Lord with a whole heart, a half heart won't do. Um, And this is is a progression here. So let me start with this. I will praise the Lord when I understand who he is, when I know him better, when I understand what he's done for me and just his power and his majesty. And the only way I can know that is if I know him. The only way that... Praise springs forth from my heart, not reluctantly or not from obligation, but because of true thankfulness for who he is, is if I know him, I understand who he is. And God wants us to do that, but it, it does take time and effort. And so one of, the, one, of the, one of the commentators said this, we do not praise God with our lips very much, if at all. And when we do, if we do, we praise him half-heartedly. It is more often true that Christians complain of how God has been treating them, carry on excessively about their personal needs or desires or gossip. Um, I think that's a true statement. I think I spend a lot of time talking about my difficulties and my problems and the things, and we are called to do that. We are called to come to God and bring our petitions to him and lay them at the feet. And, and, And all these things are true. They're all true. But that's a portion of my worship. That's a portion of my relationship with God. Um, imagine coming home from wherever you're coming home from, man or woman, and you meet your spouse, and all they have to do is to complain. There's no hug. There's no conversation. There's no asking how you're doing. There's no thankfulness that you're in their life or anything like that. It's just, oh, I'm glad you're home. Sit down. Boy, do I have a list. And over and over and over again, you could probably put up with it for a while, but after a while, it's like, you know, it's very one-sided. It's very difficult for the person, especially for humans. Now, God has big shoulders, 
I don't think that he has a problem carrying the weight of our sins and difficulties and our complaining and, and whatever it may be. Complaining is different than laying things at God's feet. Complaining is just letting him know that you're upset about something. Laying him at his feet is to surrender it over to him and let him have it. Um, we're called to, as David says here, to praise the Lord for who he is. Not for what he hasn't been to you today or this week or all these things. We're to praise him for who he is with our whole heart. And I think if we know him and we spend time with him, and we have conversations with him, and we get into a deep relationship with God, that'll come easy. It won't have to be forced. We won't have to be reminded to do that. You know, um, we have a relationship with Jesus, not a religion. It's very different. Religion is obligation, it's paperwork, it's the ceremony of the whole marriage, it's the, it's the marriage license, it's the blood test, which we don't do anymore, I don't think, but some states do, I think, I don't know. It's the whole planning and the setup and the, and, and the ceremony of it all, but it's not the reality of it. It's, it's not the depth, it's not the heart-to-heart that we're supposed to have with our God, which he desperately wants. Yes, of course he wants us to marry him, of course he wants to begin that relationship with us, but he also wants it to grow deeper and deeper, to fall more madly in love with him every day, that we might eventually love him like he loves us. You know, he loved us before, before we met him. And now he wants us to love him back. And so very important, very important that we have that. Praise him with our whole heart. He says, "I, I praise you for your marvelous works. Um, can you praise him for marvelous works in your life? Sometimes I can praise him for the stories I've read about what God has done. I, I praise him for David and Goliath. I think that's probably what he's talking about here. I think David's very excited about what God has done um, in his life and beating Goliath. But God didn't stop there. That wasn't like, there aren't historical waypoints that we look back on and say, God was great back then. God did that wonderful thing over there. He's doing marvelous works absolutely every single day. And the difference is, is David is giving God the credit. He's doing marvelous works in our lives every single day. And every single night, I should be able to praise him for the marvelous works he did in my life today. The problem is we don't give him credit. We, we read about this story of David and Goliath and how, and we talk about it almost wrongly. The Bible tells us what happened. Um, that David was young and fleet of foot and fast and, and agile and had, you know, five smooth stones and a little sling. And he went running at this Goliath. And we, we almost make him out to be the underdog hero. Boy, he just landed that just right. And isn't it a good thing, you know? But David never talks about that whole scene that way. He never says, I'm pretty good with the sling. I've got some really good smooth stones. I'm, I'm agile. I'm fast. I'm fleet of foot, and if I do this just right, I'm going to nail him in the forehead, and it's going to sink in. I'm going to drop him, you know, and this is going to... Never talks about it that way. He always talks about it as if God did it for him. He was very much a part of it. He very much did every single thing that I just mentioned, but he never took credit for the fact that Goliath was lying dead before him after the event. That's the difference. David here is writing a psalm saying, don't forget, almost saying that. Don't forget to praise God with your whole heart for the marvelous works that he's done. And if you don't know what they are, maybe we need to look a little closer at what he's done in our lives. You know, 
So we're not talking about stories in the Bible. Oh, I remember that one time, or I remember reading that one thing. No, it's what is he doing in our lives today, you know? And praise him for that. When you begin to recognize God, God's hand on your life daily, you'll begin to praise him easy. It's easy to do. When you don't recognize it, when you don't give him credit, you think it had something to do with your skill, or your abilities, and your pre-planning or your five-year plan or whatever, then you won't give him credit for the marvelous works that he's done in your life. And he'll go unnoticed, and you'll think that his hand is not upon your life. And you'll begin to complain that his hand is not upon your life like he is a part of other people's lives. And the only difference is they're giving credit. They're giving credit. God is doing marvelous works every day, not just in famous historical moments. David and Goliath, David knew it was a miracle that Goliath fell. Never, never David's speed, agility, or aim. Verse 3. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Oh, enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. And his prepare, and he has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness and he shall administer judgment for the peoples uh, in uprightness. Um, many evil people think they're going to thwart the plan of God and step in and stop and do something. We've got uh, several men like that. Remember Joseph's brothers? Ah, he's not going to be, we're not going to bow down. They thought they could thwart the plan of God when actually in all their works, they furthered his mission. By putting him in the pit, by getting him sold off to that caravan, by having them take him to Egypt, he ended up fulfilling what God wanted to do. And although it was difficult for Joseph and easy for the brothers, they had to finally submit to God's plan at the end and see how God was sovereign. You think about uh, Haman's gallow. Remember that story, you know, when he had prepared um, to in the in the book of Esther to, to, to hang, um, well, his nemesis. He ended up getting hung on it. He built his own destruction. He did it himself. And never were any of God's people in trouble at that time. He had it all worked out. God had it all worked out. And they found themselves hanging on it. And that's what David's singing about. Judas, you think about Judas. Ah, you know, I'm going to betray him. I'm going to get my 30 pieces of silver. There's never enough money in the money bag for me. I'm going to finally get it, you know, kind of thing. Ends up giving all the money back ends up hanging himself. Jesus ends up dying on the cross, which is exactly where God wanted him to begin with. It all worked out. It's exactly what God wanted to take place. Our enemies fall, they perish. Sometimes I talk about that. Um, you've heard me talk about enemies in my life that have been removed by God, and it bothers some people for some reason. And maybe it's the way I'm portraying it. So I don't, I don't want it to bother people. Um, Oh, you, that, you say that guy and that person got removed by God. Oh, you know, and it, it, there's a rolling of the eyes. If not in their heart, I can physically see it in the crowd sometimes. Um, so let me, let me clarify that because I don't want anybody to have a misunderstanding about that. When I, when I brag about what God has done in my life, he doesn't do it in my life because of me. There are many enemies that I've made personally that God has not dealt with because I made them. It's my fault. I'm wrong. 
you know, and I need to make those things right. And I do the best I can to make those things right, to make them not my enemies anymore. There are other times where there are enemies that are, there's misunderstandings and all I can do is try to be a peacemaker with them. So one third of the enemies in my life are those that have been riled by Satan for some reason and God has taken care. By no means do I ever mean that God just wipes out anybody that gets in JD's path. No, 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 no. I got plenty of people that I've, I'm responsible for, you know. What David does here is he's boasting about the enemies that come against the nation of Israel and come against him because he's part of God's plan. That's what he's boasting in. And that's all I ever mean to boast at is when, when we tried to set this radio station up a long time ago, 93.5, we had a problem with someone in the FC, FCC, I think is what it was. He was just not letting these uh, permits go through because a lot had gone through. Calvary Chapel had gotten some help and we figured out how to do it. And all over the nation, there were, I don't know how many, Mick, hundreds, hundreds of these things going in. We're like, we can get low power stations. And so hundreds of these things went out. And this guy was, I think, picked up on it. He was like, no more, not doing anymore. But just because he said no more, not because they were wrong or filled out wrong. And we could not get things going. We could not get things going. Who was the guy that was helping us? The guy with the glasses and the, and I can't think of his name. Fiery little guy, you know, kind of, yeah. I don't know what's going on. We got to pray. And, and, and we prayed. And this guy at the FCC died of a heart attack. And I didn't mean to do a jig, and I didn't. I say that for comedy's sake. I mean, it's like, it's a big deal. First, it's not because he loves 93.5 or because he loves Calvary Chapel. Or be, no, this is what God wanted to do, and this man got in the way of what God wanted to do. He wanted to get the word of God out, and this man was standing in the path and decided to oppose God and lost. That's all David's talking about. God wants to remove these enemies that are coming against you when you're walking in the path of God's will, and he will stand up for you. And you can be confident of that. It won't be because of your agility or your ability to sling a small stone. It'll be because God's with you because that's what God wants to happen. I want the Philistine gone. I want all the Philistines gone. I just need a man or a woman who will stand up and let me use them. But when we're standing up there bold and brash in our own strength for our own causes, I don't expect God to step in at all at that point. There's a difference. So David here is boasting about what the enemies try to do and how God makes them fall into their own traps, basically. Verse 9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. I would circle that, verse 10. That's the whole point of this psalm. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. Oh, I just, I don't have enough faith. I wish I had more faith. I want more faith. Those who know your name put their trust in you. That's how you increase your faith. Faith doesn't come through osmosis by laying your head and your Bible under the pillow and your head on the, and you wake up, oh, something happened, you know? No, it it comes from knowing him. The more you know God, the more you trust God. That's what faith is. Faith is, I believe God will do what he says he's going to do because I know him, you know? When you first meet me, for example, you're, you're visiting Calvary Chapel for the first time. Shields up, you know? 
what in the world is this place? And who are these people? And why isn't there a pulpit? And why are the chairs like this? I mean, we had people when we first started this thing, clear over at Hibbett Sports when we were in that place, they'd walk by, oh, I don't know, it's Wednesday night, and they got their chairs in a circle. That's where we do our chicken sacrifices. I mean, <laughs> that's a prayer circle. We just didn't have that many people coming. So it's like, that. No, we'll just make it a family time. We sat in a circle, and we talked with each other, and we just had that, because we didn't have this, you know? It was a sinister plot, no weird cult thing. We just, I don't know, we put them in a circle so we could see each other. And, and when someone else would talk, we know who's talking. You have to turn your head to see, you know? It's funny, um, you want to increase your faith, get to know the Lord more. It's not a complicated thing. If this is your first time here and you, I don't know about chicken sacrifices, why do you say that? I, you, ha, you have no idea what a, the dumber things I've said. Um, some of you could tell people of the more interesting. I think one time we were having communion and I mentioned something about uh, the guy in the jungle back in the 70s that handed out Kool-Aid to all the people, and everybody's going, we're having communion today. Why would you even bring that up kind of thing? I don't know. I thought it was a great idea. And all, all, the, fecal people, all the people that have been here for, for a long time are like, oh, he's saying dumb stuff again. It's just, I hope, it's, I hope as you get to know us, you'll understand there's no, it's not a mistake, and there's no polished thought, obviously, right? It's not a polished sermon at all. Um, it just comes from what I've studied in my heart and the people around you when they say hello to you and welcome you here, they mean it. They're not doing it because it's a job, because it's their turn or anything. It's because they really do. And if they don't see you and they don't meet you or they don't greet you or say hi to you or shake your hand, it's not because they hate you or because we're not, but they're preoccupied maybe with their own problems that week. You know, they're here to seek the Lord and to worship him. And they just, I just need God today. I don't know who else is here, but I know I needed to be here. You know, it's not a personal thing. As you get to know and you get to know people, you begin to put your trust in them more and more. You're able to understand them. It's no different than with God. When you first meet God, you're maybe a little formal with him. I've never prayed to God out loud. You know, you can. I don't know what to say. What would you say to a person? I don't know. Hey, Dear Jerry, you know, thou art most plaid today. With thine pens in corner pocket, would you hear my petition to you as I state that I need a glass of water? Would you join me for a glass of water and donut? Nobody talks that way, you know? Talk to God like you talk to anybody else. And although it feels formal at first, it doesn't have to be. You just say, hi, I'm, I'm JD. How's it going? You can be silly like that a little bit. He understands that. He's got a great sense of humor if you read his word. Wonderful sense of humor. Very personal. He says, I want you to know me, and I want to know you, and I want you to know me like I know you. He's very much a part, very much wants that in your life. And although it may feel a little awkward at first, like it is when you meet anybody for the first time, continue to talk with him, continue to spend time with him, and it takes long, in-depth moments with this person to get to know them in an in-depth way. I just don't feel like I'm a part of this church. How much time do you spend here? Well, I come late and I leave as fast as I can. I'm sorry. You're not going to get to know us. We're not having those in-depth conversations, you know? 
Come to the potluck next Sunday. Hang out. Talk to somebody. Uh, maybe someone will sit with you. Maybe they won't. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll be totally rude and sit by ourselves. Or I don't know. But at least you'll know us a little better. It's like, man, they didn't even notice me over here. Well, that's the kind of people we are, I guess. We didn't even notice you. We don't want to be that way. We don't mean to. God wants us to spend time with him and to know him. And that takes, and that's where faith comes from. That's where trust comes from. There are certain people you call upon because you know that they'll come help you with your car, with your wheels, with your uh, difficulty at home, with a water heater that's out or something like that. There's certain people you call upon because you know them so well and you trust them. And that's a small group usually. God wants to know you and wants you to trust him. And he is available to spend time with you as much as you want to. You can know him as much as you want to. That's up to us though. He's always available. Always. So he says that in verse 10, those who know your name will put their trust in you for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Verse 11, sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will declare in your salvation, or I will rejoice in your salvation, excuse me. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation. Selah. Pause on that. Think about that. Remember those times when the enemy has fallen into their own traps. And that's why I wanted to read that to you about Joseph, Haman's gallows, and Judas. Matthew 18, 7 says, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. God never promises us that we're not going to be in difficult times and trials and all these things, but that person is accountable for those difficult times and trials that they bring into your life. That's important to know. And although it may seem like, you know, God can't go get an oppressor unless he's oppressed somebody. You understand that? Sometimes we're the reason God brings judgment. He doesn't necessarily protect me from being oppressed. He doesn't protect me from bad things happening to me, but he does avenge. He does come after those who bring that upon us as believers. And I'm thankful for that. But sometimes you have to wait till after it's happened. Verse 18 or 17, excuse me. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Um, that verse 17 is probably as important as verse 10. Um, I was just talking about this with, a, with somebody else. It was, we, were, we were talking about how many times, um, and anybody that's come here for you know, more than five years could probably finish a lot of the stories that I share up here on your own. You know, I, oh, he's using that story again. Oh, he's saying that again. Oh, he's saying, you know, oh man, come up with new material. You know, I get it. I know that. Um, but it's for a reminder. Even Peter does reminders because we're forgetters. We do. We can start off and be just absolutely on fire for Jesus Christ here, sitting in these brown chairs, and we cannot, we just get out to the parking lot and we've already forgotten. 
when we begin to fall apart, you know. I really need to be kind to my spouse. I really need to love my spouse. You know, I'm going to do the dishes when I get home and I'm going to do the laundry and, and I'm going to let them just put their feet up and relax. And in the car on the way home, I'm already arguing with them, you know, kind of thing. What happened? We're forgetters. We're forgetters. Sometimes nations, entire nations forget. Um, and he calls them on it. Um, it's a big deal. When a nation forgets, hell is waiting for those that forget who God is. When they leave him behind, when they think it's their own strength and their own abilities, um, God says hell is waiting for them. And we just went through the book of Revelation, so we understand what he means by that. Um, I stole this too, but it was pretty good to steal. But at least I'm giving credit. (laughs) I didn't name the name, I just... I just want you to know it didn't come from me. You shall not always be forgotten at the mercy seat, so keep praying. You shall not always be forgotten in the word, so keep reading. You shall not always be forgotten from the pulpit, so keep hearing. You shall not always be forgotten at the Lord's table, table, so keep receiving. You shall not always be forgotten in your service, so keep serving. You expect to have peace in Jesus, in him, you will have it. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on these things individually, but you'll notice that um, these are all things that we want, but they're found in him. If I'm not in Jesus, I can't expect that peace. But oftentimes we think outside of Jesus, we should still have that peace. And we've forgotten where that peace lies. It lies within him is the idea. And so that's where these next ones come from. If you expect to have peace in Jesus, in him, you will have it not outside of him. You expect to triumph over sin in him, you will triumph. You expect to get out of trouble in him, you will be delivered. You expected to grow strong in faith in him, you will be strengthened. You expected to have spiritual joys and experiences in him, you will have them. You expect to triumph over sin in him, you will have them. Um, That's the idea. Um, You want to grow you got to be in him. So oftentimes we meet him and then we leave him and then we expect things to follow and he wants us to stay in him. Prayers and fellowship is a continual thing with God. It's not a place. It's not a moment in time. For the believer, it's all the time. It's supposed to be. Prayer without ceasing isn't necessarily me mumbling under my breath everywhere I go. It's to have that open line of communication constantly that he's with me, that I'm aware of his presence all the time. And that when I need his help, I call and say, hey, I don't know what to say to this person. Help, you know, fill me with your spirit. Give me the words of wisdom that I need. When you begin to walk in him, walking in the spirit, staying in his presence constantly, you'll find all these things that you search for, that you want, that you're looking for, that you expect to come from having a relationship with the biggest God ever, you know, and only but these things are only in him. They don't happen outside of him. So where you are, that's, that's the important thing. When we get to Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I need to look, where am I? Am I in Jesus or am I outside of Jesus? If I'm in Jesus and I'm not experiencing these things, why? Something's wrong because his word says this is going to happen. If I'm outside of Jesus and I'm not experiencing these things, I know what I need to do. I need to be in him. I need to have him. Verse 19, we'll finish up here. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. 
Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. Pause. That's the desire. That's, that's David's prayer. It's one thing to be excited about taking Goliath's head, which he was. David's prayer, though, is that he would never have to take another head because everybody would bow the knee to, to the Lord. That's always the hope. Not that he'd be the greatest warrior ever, but that all the world would bow down to God and we would all worship God. When we, when we say we don't want war in this world, I hope that's, as a Christian, you understand what that means. That means everybody's believing in Jesus. Because until that happens, there will be. There will be. I don't care what the Beatles say, you know? Imagine all the, you know, really? Imagine there's no religion. Well, I'm all for that too. I don't like religion either, but I do want a relationship. That's not what he meant. He meant, imagine there's nobody worshiping any gods anywhere is what he meant by that because he doesn't know the right words. He's wrong. He's wrong. We are at war with evil and God is at war with evil. God hates sin um, and we're on that team. And so there's going to be conflict. There just is because the world loves evil and they love sin. So our hope is like David's here, arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may show themselves to be but men, that they would bow the knee is the hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for David's heart to write these songs, things that he was meditating on and going through and bringing you glory for. We have our own Goliaths, God, and we're thankful for um, their defeat in our lives. Um, for your sake, that wasn't about our reputation, but the fact that since we're trying to walk in your will and anybody that gets in the way of us trying to walk in your will, well, they're, they're going to be removed. Um, nothing can hinder your work. Nothing can hinder us from growing closer to you except ourselves. So God, help us to remember and to not forget. Help us to stay in you and to walk in you this week, to be in that constant attitude of prayer until we meet again next week, Lord. Keep us safe in Jesus' name. Amen.